Welcome to this latest edition of the Delivery Profits, brought to you by the Delivery.World together with Avico. I'm Peter Backman, and today, together with John Borzacchiello and our special guest, Andrew Maxwell, we'll talk about delivery in general and ways to make it accessible and profitable. We'll get on to other topics too, as we try to get a deep understanding of the forces shaping this rapidly evolving sector. Uh, but before we get on to that, John, um, like you and the rest of the world, I guess, a few weeks ago, I was following the Women's World Cup and I was struck by how competitive it was, but all carried out in a spirit of cooperation. I think that's unusual today, but wouldn't it be great to see more of it? What do you think? Peter, I agree. I, I watched the Women's World Cup. If I'm honest, I didn't really watch it till after the group stage. Uh, but what I loved is the country got behind the women's team. The Lionesses got to the final the first time since the uh, Chaps did in 1966. I loved it because actually it was all very competitive, as you say. But there was none of this rolling around, none of these dives that go on that you see in uh, the men's football game nowadays. I'm a big football fan, as you know following Leicester but yeah really enjoyed it we had some friends round for the final to watch it did you watch final I did yeah absolutely and like you I didn't start watching until uh, the group games were over because uh, my attention span on football isn't what it is what it should be no it, it was good I, I did like the way the country came together and uh, of course we have the men's next year as well to look forward to uh, my little boys uh, learning all the England songs already great okay um uh, as long as the, he doesn't know all the words, I think. Well, when, when I take him to the Leicester matches, I have to put my hand over his hair sometimes. Um, our guest um, he also has a sporting background, and perhaps he'll have something to say about that later on as well. Hopefully it's not going to be about Leicester, though. Unfortunately, we're not doing too well. We shall find out. <laughs> anyway, I, I think it's time to get the show on the road. Uh, and to do that, I'll set the scene as usual with some additional thoughts that we can all discuss and perhaps pull apart. In the days before delivery, if you can remember such a time, whoever was running a restaurant was master, and here I've got to apologise for being gender specific, was master of all he surveyed. When things needed to be done, he either did it himself or he employed someone else to do it. Or maybe he orchestrated someone from outside to do whatever was needed, perhaps employing a cleaning company to clean the dining area or the kitchen or an equipment servicing company or a recruitment agency. But the crucial point about this is that all these things were broadly carried out under the instruction of the manager. He decided who was to do what, how much uh, to pay, what to change, what to keep the same. In the final analysis, he or she was the boss. And then delivery arrived. The delivery company's first thoughts were to offer a service to customers and to restaurants. But over the years, in my view, this has morphed into a position where the delivery company wants to control the process, from the customer's order to delivery to the front door. In other words, the delivery company wants to be the boss. Thus, we're in a world where we have two players in each delivery relationship, restaurant and delivery company, both of whom wants to be boss, and therefore neither of whom wants to take orders from the other, but both of whom has an agenda which might, and it probably does, conflict with the other's agenda. In other words, they aren't aligned. And if that's so, then success, 
however defined, but in this case it's probably related to profit and quality of life, success will be elusive. Maybe restaurants and delivery companies should sit down and align themselves. In business, as in life generally, partnerships work when both sides benefit. What, John, do you have any thoughts on that? Interesting you say who is the boss in the relationship. When I look at it, is the consumer not the boss? The consumer is the one ultimately deciding what food they're eating, what delivery company they use, what they actually want. Have delivery companies gave the master, so to speak, more options? Would the master be able to get to all of these people without the delivery companies? But actually, would the delivery company be able to deliver without the master? So for me, the, the consumer's the boss. It's opened up, as we've spoke about many times, being able to get lunch delivered to your office, a, a date night in because you've got young children. But you're right, it's about time some they sat down together and they looked at how can this whole, um, let, let's call family, work together so everyone gets a share of that profit. But ultimately, the consumer always seems to decide, Peter. You are right. As far as the restaurant's concerned, the customer is the boss. And as far as the delivery company, the customer is the boss. Between delivery company and restaurant. And in that relationship, you either have one company that is definitely the boss or you get yourselves aligned. And I think that's what I'm saying. So, yes, ultimately, the customer is the boss. But the other two have also got to be talking to each other. Definitely. The, the alignment piece is really strong, is it, from the guests we've had previously? And I'm sure Andrew will add to this, but what does a delivery company do? Are, are they a tech company? Are they a data company? Do they deliver food? It's that whole pattern that we speak about over and over again of what this delivery company does. But I, I agree totally from talking to some of the uh, restaurant groups I work with. I feel they'd want to sit down more with these and see how they can all be better at it. Well, I think there's a, a load of ideas for us to um, get stuck into shortly. And it's probably time to bring in our guest. So welcome, Andrew. As we'll no doubt find out shortly, Andrew is passionate about all things digital. He's Having got to this point, though, he's built and scaled hospitality businesses on both sides of the Atlantic. His most recent business, Boojum, which is Ireland's largest chain of Mexican quick service restaurants, has just been acquired by the Azuri Group. Andrew has now stepped back from the business and is working on the next chapter of his life. So that's going to be interesting to find out what that might be as well. So, Andrew, if I can address a question to you, what in your background has got you into delivery? Thank you, Peter. Um, I've been a listener of this podcast um, since you started the series, maybe six or seven episodes ago. And it's great to be sitting here with yourself and uh, John today. So thank you very much for having me. It's great having you with us. Thank you yeah. for joining us. As a, as a restaurateur, you're always looking at ways that you continually you can continually stay in front uh, of, the, of the business. Um, delivery was something that, you know, we've seen happening in, in America, we've seen happening in London, and we knew at some point it was going to, it was going to come to Ireland. So for us, um, we, we just had to think about how we were going to integrate that into our business and, and really be a leader in terms of, of, of that space. A point that um, John made but didn't um, uh, explicitly state was that the current delivery model may be in need of very great care and attention um, in terms of profitability, in terms of service level, in terms of quality of food. Um, do you have thoughts on that? 
Yeah, if you go back to your paper, I think one word could probably sum that up, and it's misalignment. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the relationship between the restaurant and, and, the, and the delivery partners, but like John, I would also bring in the customer, and I would also bring in the rider now. I think there's misalignment between uh, between everybody. No one's happy. No one's making money. I think now everybody's on their own agenda, whether it's, you know, a path to profitability, whether they're fighting for customers, or the consumers are just seeking value, and, and the drivers are, are really trying to trying to pay their bills so that tells you that no one's happening so something that, that is wrong in in um in, in that ecosystem you know if you take a step back and think about um how restaurants used to operate and what kept us awake at night you know it was food quality it was customer experience and profitability we've almost forgotten about those three things and that's what got restaurants to this point you know our mindset shifted from from those three those three first principles of hospitality to we're willing now to deliver anything to anybody anywhere at any time which which is now you know you can see that now filtering through to the um, you know the consumer, whereas you know at the start you know when delivery came into our industry, it was pitched as very much as a partnership. It was pitched as a you know look you know we are we are your partner. You know we will um, we'll promise incremental revenue, speedy delivery, zero batching of orders, and the restaurants promise in return price parity. And at that point, it was fantastic for the customer because they were getting you know restaurant price food really you know they were paying for convenience but it, it was getting brought to them and it sort of worked until obviously delivery sales take, took off and it really started to impact and cannibalize in-store sales so we had to rethink the whole model um so the relationship i believe began began to fracture you know the price differential started creeping in the delivery companies were started batching orders and it sort of broke that model um and, and as i said then nobody became happy so the, the delivery companies are, like, they're on their path to profitability and they can do one of two things. They can increase basket size, and I'm sure we'll start talking about these things, or they can increase frequency. It, and is yeah. that all they can do, though? I mean, surely surely there, there are other things in terms of paying attention to um, quality, um, customer service, making sure that they don't have returns, all of those things, or are they all just part of the profitability argument? I, I only ask the question because I, I don't know the answer, but it's, it intrigues me to what extent are these actual problems or are they just an element of how do we make more profit? Well, you know, we go back to misalignment. The delivery companies are now trying to work out their path to profitability um, and they have their own agenda. And they've only, you know, a couple of ways that they can make money, and that is through fees, or the, and they're now dipping into, you know, marketing. So it, it just it, it's natural that you know they're going to look at things like how do we increase basket size. You can see now that they're pushing in the other verticals, which will increase the basket size. You can see that they're batching orders, which does nothing for the restaurants. Uh, uh, and in particular the food quality piece and it does nothing for the consumer because ultimately your food is now further away if you're going for if you're if your driver's having to take a second stop along the way so it's it's um interesting to see like you might my big question would be are restaurants going to get left behind are we second thought in that process you know is is is, is grocery going to take over so it'll be interesting to see how this settles and how that relationship actually uh, pans out what i see as a consumer here is i've used the aggregators um when i stay in hotels in london for etc is i always find it and a couple of times i have had problems with my food 
the aggregator is very quick to pass it straight back to the restaurant, literally off of their desk. Have you had experience of that where they haven't actually done it, it's been passed to the, back to you as the operator? Yeah, and, and, and Peter and I had a, a had a brief chat about this o- offline. Like there's a, I would call it the you know the corporate complaint culture. And I and I lived in America, and you know guests were trained that if you went to one of the big corporate chains, if you complained, they would have sent you out a, a gift card and compensated you. Now, the same process is happening with delivery. We are training because we've the delivery companies have made it so easy for you know consumers to complain about their food. It's it's almost like an automated process now. That if and we've trained them now. If you complain, you're likely to get a refund, right? And whether that sits on the restaurant side or whether that sits on the on the delivery side, it's probably up for debate, right? But consumers now have this almost this you know uh, system to hide behind complaints because typically, like you know, especially people in Ireland and the UK are maybe not as confrontational as, as maybe you know people in America because America is a tipping culture. They're paying more for stuff, so they expect they almost have this expectations of higher levels of service. But in the UK, we haven't had that, right? We accept that you know your food is what your food is, but now we've got these channels that you can you can complain behind you know a, a closed door. Which it's almost making it easy for them. You can have the option when you go onto the aggregator yeah. to put. My da da da, my da da da, and I'm not going to say anything because it'll give people ideas. But there is that reason, like you say, to complain. Yeah, it's it's happening, you know, and 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 I believe in in the in the short term that the that the companies are going to have to address this. Otherwise, you know, cost consumers are going to get smart, and they're going to realise. Look, if you you know you know, does it make sense if you have a you know a, a full dish that if you didn't enjoy. You know your chips. Should you get a fifteen pound refund? You know it, it. It doesn't make sense. But that's what we're training our customers to do, and we've got to be very, very careful. And it'll be interesting to see how these delivery companies and the industry as a whole actually tackles this. Because in the current format, are you asking the the restaurant to challenge the, the customer, or, or or is the delivery company challenging it? And it's awkward. And if you're dealing with very, very high volumes, it's going to take extra resource, extra people, and again, it's adding cost to the whole de- delivery ecosystem. It, it comes back to Peter with what we've discussed before that going to a restaurant is an experience and as much as this home delivery or office delivery is an experience, if there was a problem, Andrew, in a site, that gets addressed there and then if you say the fries were cold, yeah. hey, really sorry, here's your fries and they've still got that experience of their meal, it's there in front of them without a business having a huge cost. The best restaurants in the world and have the ability to turn a negative situation into a positive. Like, you know, we are all human, we make mistakes, we forget items, food is cold, right? When you don't have that direct relationship with the consumer, it's very, very difficult to correct that situation. Now, you know, if a consumer has a bad experience, they try to phone the restaurant, nobody answers the phones because they're typically busy. They send emails, but again, it's, you know, does, does it really matter to the consumer that, you know, you're getting, your, you're getting a, a, a refund two days later? It doesn't. They want. They're hungry now. They want their food now. Whereas in a normal restaurant, uh, you know, environment, as you said, John, you've that ability to go over, turn that negative situation into a positive and correct it. And that's where we have to. We're toying between. Like, if you're, you know, if if, if you run first party delivery, you've got that that ability to control that customer experience. You you get instant feedback, and and you can learn. The um, are you. There are some points arising from that that struck me, and and they concern the um, uh, the fact that we are talking about um, a different experience from in delivery from the experience you get in a restaurant. 
Um, you don't have the buzz of people around. You don't, you don't have to wait to have your coat taken. You don't have to fight for a seat. You know, it, it's just different. Um, is, is restaurant delivery trying to, um, or should it try to replicate that in some way, or should it try to create something which is completely and utterly different from the restaurant experience and therefore create its own particular world, its own particular market. Um, my card's on the table. I think that that's the direction that this um, sector is going to go. It's going to be different from restaurants. Maybe the same brands will be involved in both, but it's going to be something that is quite different. Um, along the lines of, well, you go to a restaurant and you have your food cooked and prepared for you, or you go to the supermarket and it's there packaged on a shelf and you have to take it home and cook it. Um, are we now creating a third market arising out of all the issues that we've been talking about up till now? That's my, my thought and my question, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the goal of a restaurant is to be equally as good across all channels. And if you can be as profitable across all channels, that's fantastic. You know, if you look at how the industry segmented over the last number of years, at the top end of the, of the industry, you've got your experiential restaurants. At the bottom end, it's very much about convenience. It's almost like food is fuel. Uh, and that, and that it's very transactional. The, the middle section is where, you know, we're all struggling for answers. But this is where the scale, this is where the volume is. And I, and I, and I would agree with you, Peter. I think that, you know, Delivery has tried to find its place, you know, at the bottom end. It's tried to find its place at the top, and a lot of people almost don't want it. But what we know at this point, and at what is consistent across the whole world, is that we know consumers want delivery. What we have to do, we've got to find a better way to do it. And in the current format, as we touched to at the very start, and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about, is the current model just isn't working. So like you, I believe that delivery will become its own category. I believe that, you know... Um, the, that vertical integration is is the is the best path to profitable food delivery um, for for a number of reasons. Um, but again, if you're if you're a delivery centric kitchen, it's important that you're effectively optimized to do delivery. You know, you're taking costs out of you know what would normally typically go into a restaurant, and you're reallocating them and giving them back to the to the consumer. So it's a completely different model. But like you, I'm a bit, I'm a big believer that this will happen. Peter mentioned, Andrew, um, that you like all things digital and tech. Is, is there anything you think can be bought in to make this delivery offering better by using better tech, better digital touch point? Which way can it go from that point of view? There's a lot of fantastic systems out there, like point solutions which solve individual problems. Like the way the industry and the tech stacks have evolved is the problems have been identified and have been solved in isolation. And what you have in across the whole industry is complete fragmentation across the tech, the tech stack and a lot of things layered on top of each other, which makes a lot of systems effectively redundant. So trying to make sense of that and extract any meaningful information is very, very difficult at the minute. So what we need now is more specific technology systems that are designed for the task in hand. Now we talk about, because we're talking about delivery and, and you had the, a previous guest on, Chris Baggett on here, who runs a, a very successful operation called Cluster Truck. They're a delivery-centric oper operation powered by a fantastic uh, vertical SaaS company called Impart. That piece of software is specifically designed for off-premise. It's specifically designed to, to run that kitchen, right? 
that is, they are optimized to service delivery in what and what they do. So I think the industry as a whole needs more of that type of software because at the minute, typically how software is developed, it's developed in tandem with their biggest customer. If they've got a problem, they solve it. If the biggest customer, you know, the next problem comes along, they solve it, and then they they they've got a you know they've got a full enterprise system, and then they try and license it into other providers. But what one restaurant needs is very different from another. Whereas you look at that that marriage of between Cluster Truck and what Empire are doing, like it's it, they're they're perfectly aligned in, in in their goals. You know, Cluster Truck. Do they have the you know? Do they have the best food in the world? No, they've got very good food. But what they do every, time and time again is they, they 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 deliver on their promise to their customer, which is hot food fast, and that's what the consumer wants. And that has all to do with the type of technology that they've built. Like we we talk about, like you know, I believe we're looking at this the wrong way. Like we've built. Um, unbelievable systems and we've made it so easy for consumers to, to order from us um, we've got best in class you know delivery networks up and down the country you know we've got order aggregation uh, platforms that helps restaurants funnel and uh, and, and really control the flow of, of orders in their, in their internal operation kitchens are now more efficient than they were they can knock out more volume consistently at scale but we're failing to address the biggest flaw and the biggest complaint in the industry which is food quality Right, and the only way we're going to solve that is is we address the time problem, right? And for me, that that is reduce that latency from the time the customer gets their food to the time it's cooked. Like if we can really optimize that, the whole delivery experience will will change, right? So it's really, it's really interesting, Andrew. You say that because Peter made a point earlier. Are are we bringing a third model in here, where it is the the dark kitchens when we had sessions on? They, they're running out of these uh, dark kitchens, I guess. They haven't got to worry about the consumer that is eating in that premises. This is where they are doing it specifically. And it goes back to your point, Peter, of a restaurant's a restaurant. Retail is retail. And this is a space that can be worked into. So actually, an operator can have a dark kitchen, but it's not affecting the guests that is sat in their restaurant. It seems that in order to make that work, then you've got to address all the, the issues or the solutions that, that Andrew's been talking about. Um, um, technology, uh, optimising um, processes, uh, working together uh, as a team, all of those things um, within their own specific space of delivery. So in a sense, n- n- not acknowledging the um, the outside, either retail or food service stroke restaurant experience, uh, just thinking much more on a much more focused basis about what delivery is all about. Is that the magic solution? Is that going to make the whole thing work? More delivery centric kitchens. Well, I think if you can optimize that. That, that, is, that is the solution for this industry. You know, I read a report recently and it was one of the big CEOs of a, a burger chain in America and he was reporting on his earnings and he made a comment that he was glad to see delivery sales falling off. It sort of struck me. And one way you can look at it and you can say, yeah, you know, customer, you're more profitable if customers come to them. 
But on one hand, I mean, if I was CEO of that company, I'd be asking myself, well, what if we could find a better way to do delivery? And my personal view, and I said at the start, that vertical integration is the is the best path to profitable food delivery. Like if they were to take off, take 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 their delivery volumes out of certain restaurants, and really optimize that premise for delivery, surely that's a better option with with a goal of being equally as good across all channels. And what you know, Cluster Truck have proved that that it can, it can be done. It's just we are so set in their ways. Or, because we've done it this way for so long, we'll continue to do that. And they talk about like Einstein's quote or whatever the definition of insanity is, you know, doing the same thing, you know, over and over again, expecting to get a different result. And and, and that's the situation that we're in. Like everything from this point on is, you know, it's an incremental improvement. The, the, yes, the, the delivery companies will find ways to reduce costs. They're looking at autonomous vehicles and restaurants will, will find ways to be slightly more efficient. But I fundamentally believe that the only way we're going to make a material difference to this industry or to the delivery experience is if we can reduce that time period um, and that goes back to the, the learnings from my background in full service restaurants before delivery wasn't a thing if you think about like you know a point to sale system that we maybe would have operated your restaurant and if, if a table ordered order a starter and order mains when that table was ready for the for their mains that server would have typically communicated that through the point of sale to the kitchen uh, and at that point then the food was made Right, and and the time between the customer wanting their food and being made was very very short, which which preserved food quality, right? If they didn't have that software, the, the kitchen is guessing, right? When when the table's ready, right? And that's the situation we're in now. Like restaurants are guessing: is my driver going to come? Where is he? You know, how long is it going to take? Right? We've got to shift from guessing to actually knowing. And to, to get to that point, we've got to think about the solutions and the software that we're using to help us do that. It, um, it, it's very interesting because I, I can see the parallels here with with a product, factory production line because that is based on knowledge. Well, we know we've got a, a trunker going out at 8 o'clock tonight and it's got to have five pallet loads, so we better make the stuff. Uh, and we've got the whole process, deliver, you know, delivering in quotes, to that. So that that's... Uh, in a nutshell, my understanding of, of manufacturing. Um, uh, and it's it's a question, of perhaps, of applying whatever principles you can find in a factory to producing stuff for delivery. Um, uh, and I wonder whether that is the magic solution or just a solution. Well, well the lesson from manufacturing is efficiency. You know, we've got to find... We've got to find a better way to do things. If we want, like at the minute, we've crossed that value threshold with the consumer. And you look at what's happening in some of the American companies, and I hate to keep referencing the, you know, some of the big chains, but they're maybe one or two years ahead, ahead of, of, of where we are. And, and there was a, a publication recently which they looked at the price differential between restaurant pricing and, and delivery pricing, right? So... It was across, say, Chipotle and Chick-fil-A. It was as much as 30%. You know, that tells me, that tells me a couple of things. It tells me that um, they're now, they're probably, the delivery channels are probably the most profitable channels, but it also tells me that they don't actually want that transaction. You know, their, their, their brands, they're saying, they're banking and their brand being so strong that the consumer will just forget about getting delivery and come to them. And they've, they've doubled down. I mean, their, their models have changed, the, uh, you know, trying to really optimize that whole uh, click and collect process with their Chipotle and stuff. And they've said, look, if you're coming to us, we'll make sure it's the best experience, the best experience possible. But um, 
Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I wonder whether that is a, a positive function for the quick service model. Simple products um, served quickly. Uh, in a full service environment, it, it may work less acceptably. Well, that's where they are at, at, at the current moment. They've said, look, you know, the delivery the delivery industry is just currently not working. So we're going to put all our efforts into, you know, customers coming to us. But whenever, like, as humans, we choose the easy option every single time, right? Whenever delivery gets better and the infrastructure and the systems get better, where we work out a better way to service our consumers, then if the consumer is sitting in their house and they have a choice of, you know, getting in their car and driving to somewhere to collect it, or they can get, you know, good value, they, they get a guarantee that the food's going to be hot, you know, there's going to be a lot of sales which will come back out of these. I mean, what they're doing is, is, is right for now, but I'm not sure that what they're doing is right for the for the future. Yeah. What you're saying, Andrew, is whoever gets this right is going to make a lot of money. Look, I believe delivery has been the best opportunity and will be the best opportunity that this industry's ever seen. You know, you think about it, the constraint in a restaurant is typically the number of seats times, you know, how many times you turn that table or it could be your throughput. We have an opportunity to service thousands and thousands of people, you know, around us without adding, adding any, you know, additional fixed overhead. So for me, that is the biggest opportunity. We're just, we're, we're just thinking about it wrong. And I, I do believe it all comes back to the food quality um, that we that we need to address, and that's where it's suffer- and, and obviously a, a efficiencies to to work out the economic model, and not just continually go down the same path as what we're travelling at the minute. It's interesting you say about food quality. So for Avico, we have the question all the time from our customers of, we need crunchier fries that hold longer, that can travel better, that can be topped. And this is something our MPD team are working on and have been working on for a long time. We've now got one that holds for 30 minutes, but the next one will be the, what can you make it last longer? Because people want that absolute quality. It's not just fries. You look at meat, they want the meat to be going out and they still want the moisture in it, not wanting to have a, a piece of rubber, I guess. And so is it also actually the food manufacturers coming into this argument so they can add something to it? I think a part of it, you know, you, you look how packaging evolved, has evolved over the last 10 years. I mean, it's now all about protecting the integrity and, and quality of food, but it all comes back to that time. I mean, you know, we're looking at ways to preserve the food. We're looking at using like hot lockers, but it's not it's not addressing the time. If we can solve that time problem, and I hate to keep going back to it, but if we can reduce that window from the time customer gets the food from the time the food is cooked, then, you know, that, that won't become an issue. With the delivery profits, and I, and I just wonder whether at this particular moment we ought to be finally sort of addressing having a go at prophecy um any thoughts for the future of delivery there's going to be a lot of operators out there now really questioning the viability of the of the industry questioning their operations because it has been difficult you know but in terms of delivery there's a couple of key questions that they need to ask themselves and one of them the book they are well are you trying to serve incremental revenue on top of your current business or are you trying to build a delivery centric model, right? On, if you look at the first one, if you're trying to build a, um, you know, an incremental business, there's fantastic technology. There are leverage of third parties, you know, optimize your menu, look, tackle the back of house inefficiencies. And you can bolt on, you know, revenue, which will make a difference. What I would say is really, you know, focus on that quality aspect and, and, and understand what you can and what you can't deliver. If you're trying to build a, a delivery centric operation, then it requires a completely different thought process, and that will require the the, the, the technology, the you know the efficiencies, 
um, and, and, yeah, and and I believe um, it, it, it will be a vertically integrated model which will ultimately uh, win in the end. That's a very helpful insight, so thank you, Andrew. Um, and I just wonder whether, just to make sure we've, we've covered everything, is there anything that you feel you've wanted to say and you haven't said it? I think we've we've covered some good ground there. I suppose like we've we've got to find room in our PLs for delivery. You know, we, we the restaurant's been hit from every angle over the last number of years and what we've got going on at the minute, we've got a you know, a cost of goods problem and we've also got a labour problem. And if you look at that prime cost, that is what's under threat. And you know, if we can't manage that that that, that prime cost, delivery just doesn't to fit in there you know and you can see how and we fought those battles recently by price and we just keep putting prices up prices up prices up and now as I said look, you know we've crossed that value threshold it's just not worth it for the customer so now we've got to innovate around that prime cost and to really work out how do we continually add value and you can see how different you know it's really interesting to see how different operators are, 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 are approaching this and how their models are actually emerging to, to create value and that's where I think that, that where I see the opportunity and, and where I think um, the industry is coming. So we, we've arrived at the point where price and quality are the things to concern ourselves with. Who would have thought that? It's uh, a brilliant conclusion. Andrew, I just want to check that, that um, if anybody wants to contact you, uh, they can probably do that through LinkedIn. Is that the best Yeah, thing? LinkedIn, yeah. Just okay, LinkedIn. And Andrew Maxwell, LinkedIn, and there he is. Um, so uh, a big thank you to you, Andrew, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today, uh, and all the very best. And here's a reminder that whether you're a delivery company, a marketplace app, a technology company, a restaurant owner, investor, or you're simply someone who loves to order takeout, the delivery profits is the perfect way to stay informed and ahead of the curve in the world of food delivery. You'll find the delivery profits on Spotify, Apple, Google, or the other places where you normally get your podcasts. And there's more at www.thedelivery.world slash thedeliveryprofits. Tune in to the next edition of The Delivery Profits for the insights, interviews, and analysis that will keep you ahead of the game in this exciting and ever-evolving industry. And with that, it's goodbye from today's Delivery Profits. That's me and John and Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, guys.